Well, good morning. Welcome again today. It's so good to be with you this morning. If uh, if you're a guest with us, my name is Mark. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, I'm so glad that we could gather together this morning. You know, just looking around today, I, I realize that some of you have come with heavy hearts. This has been a tough week for some of you. Others of you have come just eager and excited to gather together with friends and those you love to worship God. I'm just reminding us today that wherever we've come from, God has been with us and God is with us now. And God is working in our midst and I'm just so thankful for that. You know, some of you may not realize that just uh, two days ago, Friday, was our district assembly. The 74 churches from the Northwest District gathered together to celebrate some of what God is doing, to do some business. And you may not know this, but our church actually hosted district assembly on Friday. It uh, was a hybrid district assembly. There was about 150 people present, and there was about 175 or more who joined us online. And uh, so it was, was the first time our district had ever done something like that. And I say that because I want you to know that your staff and a whole team of volunteers, they hit it out of the park. And uh, they did a wonderful job, and it was a blessing not only to those who are here, but to many others as well. And part of that too, you know, we've been going through this pandemic journey for 13 plus months now. And we've had to go about a lot of things differently. A lot of things differently than maybe we would have even wanted to do things and much of that forced upon us. But, but God has been working in that midst. And even though so many things have been different this last year, who we are and what we've been about has stayed the same. And God is still working and we're finding ways to do that. Pastor Mindy talked a little bit ago about some of our Wednesday night things. And our Wednesday evenings kids ministry is called Cow, which I don't even know exactly what that means. But what I can tell you is this morning when I was having breakfast, my daughter said, Dad, I'm so excited for Cow this week. And uh, so God is, is working there as well. You know, we actually, over the last two months, have been averaging more children in our kids' worship on Sunday mornings than we were for the year before COVID. And so we just rejoice in that, and we thank God uh, for the ways that God is working in the lives of people. Obviously, there's still a lot of other things that, that are still transitioning, and, and we're working on that. And I just thank you for the ways that we have had to learn to be flexible whether we wanted to be flexible or not, amen? But actually, I was thinking about that just a few moments ago when we were singing that song, Make Room. You know, to make room for what God wants to do, to this kind of, this prayer of surrender, asking that we would just sort of let go of some of those things. Sometimes we get so used to the way we've done things that we can fail to experience what God is doing in new ways. And we're actually, you might see that some today in the passage of scripture we're looking at, but just wanna again remind you how much God is working and we just give God the praise and glory for that. And let me just ask you just to continue to be in prayer for what God is doing. And one last reminder, ministry is not just the things that we do here. There is ministry that happens in these four walls, but there is so much more ministry that can happen when we move outside of these walls as we live lives of faithful love and obedience for God day in and day out. You with me on that? And that's who we are, and that's what we're, we're continuing to seek after to do. Well, we started a, a sermon series here the other week where today is the, the third Sunday of Easter. 
talked about this a little bit last week. Easter is more than just a day. It's a season. It, it, it journeys from Easter Sunday to Pentecost Sunday as we live into the reality of the resurrection. Because we believe that the resurrection is not just a historical event that happened that we remember. Rather, the, the, the resurrection is a historical reality that has rewritten history. And so the resurrection of Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago has a significant and profound impact in the way in which we live out our lives today. And we just want to be faithful to that, to live into to the power of the resurrection, what God is doing. You know, it, it's through, through Easter and through this that, that we realize so much of the impact that God has in our lives and in the world. And we, we see this play itself out in the book of Acts as, as the church is going about being the church in all kinds of situations. You know, one of the sort of sub-themes that recurs throughout the book of Acts is, is the church is, is living into God's calling. They continue to find themselves in difficult circumstances. There are times when, when the church finds themselves uh, excluded from the synagogue. They can no longer gather there to worship. There's, there's times when the church faces persecution, when, when some of them are even killed for proclaiming that Jesus Christ is Lord. And then the church is, is scattered and sent off. They're, people are separated from one another and they have to try to live out this faith apart from the context of community. And there's all of these challenges that happen throughout the book of Acts. But do you know what we see in the midst of that? Every time that there is a challenge that the church faces, God's grace is sufficient to meet that challenge and overcome that. And God's grace is sufficient today as well as we, as we continue through this, this, uh, th th this series, this journey together. If you have your Bibles this morning, I'd invite you to join me in the book of Acts. We're going to be in chapter 3, beginning in verse 12. And if you're able to this morning, I'd ask you to stand as we read God's word. Seeing this, Peter addressed the people. You Israelites, why are you amazed at this? Why are you staring at us as if we made him walk by our own power or piety? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our ancestors, has glorified his servant Jesus. This is the one you handed over and denied in Pilate's presence, even though he had already decided to release him. You rejected the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you instead. You killed the author of life, the very one whom God raised from the dead. We are witnesses of this. His name itself has made this man strong. That is because of faith in Jesus' name. God has strengthened this man whom you see and know. The faith that comes through Jesus gave him complete health right before your eyes. Brothers and sisters, I know you acted in ignorance. So did your rulers. But this is how God fulfilled what he foretold through all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer. Change your hearts and lives. Turn back to God so that your sins may be wiped away. This is the word of God for the people of God. And we say together, thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. You know, we, we find ourselves coming into this in the midst of, well, a sermon. <laughs> we find ourselves in the midst of, of, of this message that Peter is sharing with people, but the story of this actually begins earlier in chapter 3. 
the beginning of, of chapter 3, Peter and John are on their way to the temple to worship. They're going to the temple to gather together with God's people to worship God. And this wasn't, this wasn't you know, some high holy day. This was just kind of a, a regular day. They were going there to worship God, but in order to get through the temple, they had to pass through the gate. And a place like a gate would be a very strategic location for a person like the one we, we read about here in Acts chapter 3. See, this was a man who had been born lame. He, he couldn't walk from, from, his, from, from the time of his birth. And, and so because of that, he had to beg for, for food. He had to beg to, for money. That was the only way in which he could live. And so strategically, he, he located himself at the gate of the temple. Because the temple is, or the gate to the temple is where people would pass through to worship. And especially on just an ordinary day, do you know the kinds of folks who would show up for worship? You know, if, 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 no offense to any of you here today, but if I said, hey, I'm going to be preaching tomorrow morning at 10 a.m., I'd invite you to come. Not all of you are going to come tomorrow morning, right? Some of you have to work, but you know what, you understand what I'm saying, right? The, the folks who, who show up on just an ordinary day for worship, this isn't Christmas, this isn't Easter, this isn't Pentecost, it's just a regular old day. Those are the folks who are, are pious folks, right? Those are the folks who are committed folks. Those are the, the folks who, who would be much more likely to practice some of those traditional forms of piety in the Jewish faith. Prayers and fasting and the third form of piety was the giving of alms, giving of money to those in need. And so here's this man who, who located himself at this very strategic location, hoping that there would be people there who would minister to his needs. Well, Peter and John encounter him and they say, hey, you know what? We don't have money, but we've got something better than that. So in the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, get up and walk. And he reached down and took his hand and lifted him up and they entered into the temple together. Now there's a whole lot that happens in just that brief short sentence. You know, when Peter addresses this man, he says, in the name of Jesus Christ, Jesus, the one who is the Savior. Jesus, the one who came into this world to set not only God's people free, to set all people free. So all people could know and experience life and salvation through Jesus. And this is sort of accentuated when he says, Jesus Christ, the Nazarene. Now, if you've been a part of our church for any amount of time, the Nazarene, it just kind of sounds familiar because we call ourselves Nazarenes. And part of that is, is after Jesus, the one who was known as the Nazarene. But, but part of that, too, was because Nazareth was, was the wrong side of the tracks, most people didn't think that anybody good or anything good could come from Nazareth. It's one of the reasons as a denomination we, we chose that name early on. We, we wanted to be a church that says it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what your past has been. It doesn't matter what choices you have made. You are welcome here. All people are welcome here. Because God's grace and God's love is for every single person. 
And so when Peter addressed this man, he said, the Nazarene, the, the one who came for the hopeless and helpless, the one who came for those who were accepted by society and also those who were rejected by society. Jesus Christ is here for you. And then Peter reached out his hand to, to take his hand. Now, one of the things that we should probably remember is that a person who was born lame, who could not walk, was considered ceremonially or ritually unclean. That's one of the reasons why this beggar had to sit at the gate rather than inside of the temple. He couldn't sit inside of the temple and ask for alms because he was not allowed to enter the temple because he had been born lame. He was considered unclean, but in this moment when this man still has yet to walk, Peter reaches out to take his hand. Peter is risking his own rightness for entering into the temple by reaching out to this person. And we see something very important here, that, that in this moment, Peter is reminding us that acts of mercy trump piety. Acts of mercy trump piety. And he is showing love to this person and grace to this person who might not even deserve that. And that trumps anything else. And then all of a sudden, this man jumps up onto his feet and enters into the temple with Peter and John. There is now no longer any barrier between him and God. There is, there is no physical barrier. He can walk, he can enter into the temple, but because he's been healed, there is no longer that spiritual barrier as well. Through Jesus Christ, all barriers that once stood between him and God have been removed, amen? There's a lot happening in those few, few short verses there. Well, because of this, pretty soon there's a crowd of people who gathers around. The reason there's a crowd of people who gathers around is because this is an individual for, who for his whole life had sat at the gate to the temple asking people for their alms. And so all of those folks who gathered there, they likely would have walked by this individual countless number of times. They had seen him. They had ignored him. They had sometimes given to him. They'd walked by this individual so many times. And all of a sudden, he's not sitting outside of the temple. He's inside of the temple with them. And they're trying to make sense of this. I mean, how does this, how does this happen? This is not a normal occurrence. You know, the other thing that they're, they're trying to figure out is, is how could somebody like that come into the temple? Because all good religious people then knew that the only reason somebody would be born lame is because of either a choice they had made or a choice their parents had made. They deserved what they got. Being born in that kind of a state, they would have thought was characteristic of that person's level of spiritual maturity. People are that way because they deserve to be that way. You know, if we're honest, sometimes in the church today, there's still folks who think that way about other people. Those people are that way because they deserve to be that way. They've made the kinds of choices that have placed them into those circumstances. And that's just the way that things are. I can't remember why I first read it. I heard somebody say one time, though, you know, if you worship a God who loves the same people you love and a God who looks down on or, or hates the same people that you hate, then the God you worship is not Jesus. 
because Jesus came for everyone, amen? Jesus loves all people and welcomes all people to receive his grace and mercy and forgiveness and healing and wholeness. Well, for those who, who gathered in the temple, they, they saw this man who was there and all of a sudden they were, they were having to come to grips with reality. How could this person who had been lame, who they'd, he, they'd walked by for so many times, all of a sudden be standing and walking and there in the temple with them? What is it that happened here? Some people thought that Peter must be a miracle worker. And so they were trying to give him credit for this. And Peter was the first one to say, hey, listen, it's not me. He says, you know, you know the reason all of this happened? It was the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. He is the one who made this happen. But you know when Peter says that, he's actually quoting a Bible verse. He's quoting a, a verse from Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3 is the place in the story of Exodus when God calls Moses. God calls Moses and says, Moses, listen, I've heard the cries of my people. My people are suffering in slavery in Egypt, and I've heard their cries, and I'm going to do something about it. And this is what I'm going to do, Moses. I'm calling you to go to Egypt and to tell Pharaoh to let my people go. That was the beginning of God's salvation plan for the people of Israel when they were enslaved in Egypt. And as we know from the book of Exodus, what is it that God does? God rescues them. God sets them free. God gives them a new life and a new identity and a future and a hope. And all of this happens because God is working there. And so when Peter says, listen, it wasn't me who did this. This was the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Peter is saying, do you remember when God rescued his people when they were enslaved once before? Guess what? God's doing it once again. God's rescuing people who are enslaved and setting people who've been enslaved free. And God is doing that through Jesus. Jesus is finding people who are enslaved and setting those people free. And that's what Peter tells them when this has happened. God is leading people to freedom, to, to new life, to let them go. You know, as we read through this story, then we, Peter's telling them all of this through these words we read a few moments ago. And there's something that I find both interesting and also troubling with this passage. And it centers around the same thing. Those people to whom Peter preached these words that we read just a few moments ago, those were God-fearers. Those were insiders. Those weren't the people outside of the synagogue. These were the people who had come on an ordinary day to worship God. And those are the people that, that Peter shares this message with. And part of that is because we, we come to realize through Easter and through Acts and through the New Testament that God is doing something new. You know, Peter is saying that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God who, who did this in the past, that God is still working. It looks very different than it did in Exodus, but that God is working and is on the move today. God is doing something new, and you don't want to miss out on it. You know, most people today believe that the, the same person who wrote the book of Acts also wrote the book of Luke. And even in the structure of these two books, we see some of how God is doing something new. It's interesting. If you look at the, the Gospel of Luke, the Gospel of Luke begins in the temple and it ends in the temple. 
The Gospel of Luke begins with a man named Zechariah who was a, a priest who was in the temple doing his priestly duties. And we encounter Zechariah, he's actually in the holiest place of the temple there doing what was asked of him when an angel comes to him. And an angel tells Zechariah that he and his wife who had had no children are going to, in their old age, have a son. And that their son will prepare the way for the Messiah who is to come. That's where the, the gospel of Luke begins. In the last chapter of Luke, we, we see the empty tomb and, and we encounter the Emmaus Road story. And then Jesus appears to the rest of his disciples. And then Jesus ascends back into heaven. And the last verse in the gospel of Luke says that those first followers of Jesus Christ returned to Jerusalem where they were constantly praising in the temple. The Gospel of Luke begins and ends in the temple. The temple for Jewish people was the place where heaven met earth. It was the dwelling place of God. And it goes back to the idea of the covenant when God said that he would bless his people so that they in turn could be a blessing to the rest of the earth. But for so much of, of history, God's people had just kind of maintained in that place there with them and God. By the time we get to Acts chapter 3, you know where the action is taking place? The action has moved from inside of the temple to outside of the temple. It is outside of the temple where this man is healed, where this man is released from this physical slavery that has held him for his life. God is moving from the temple, and we'll see this throughout Acts. God is moving out to the rest of the world so that God's saving power can be made known to the ends of the earth. God is doing something new. God is, is working in a way that, that the people had never seen before, and God is up to something. This is the story of Easter, that God is up to something new. The story of Easter is that where places used to be dark, there is now light that is shining in that darkness. The story of Easter is that people's lives who had just been filled with desperation can now find hope because of Jesus. The story of Easter is that death no longer has the final say because Jesus has been raised from the dead. The story of Easter is that God is doing something new and, and because of Easter, the good news is moving out. It's moving out to those around us. And for those who call ourselves Christians, that's something that should be characteristic of our faith as well. Our faith is never something that should be lived out simply between us and God. Amen? Amen? If we think that this Christian faith is just something that we live between us and God, then we might be a theist, but we're not a Christian. Because to be a Christian is not just to live in right relationship with God but it's to allow that wholeness, that redemptive work to flow from us to the lives of people around us as well. And we see this happening here in Acts and we see this happening throughout scripture. God works in us so that God can work through us, so that the love and grace and mercy of God can be made known to the ends of the earth. You know, it's interesting in this story in Acts, one of the things we realize is that worship and mission are tied together. Peter and John went to the temple that day to worship. 
They just went to worship. But on their way to worship, they encountered a person who was broken. They encountered a person who was hurting. They encountered a person who, who needed something, and no matter how hard he had tried to find it on his own, he could not find it on his own. And so while they came to worship, they found themselves involved in mission. Worship always leads to mission. Worship always leads us to live out to those who are around us. You know, I found myself wondering, does, does our worship collectively and individually lead us into mission? When I was in college, I, I think it was my last year in college, I, I had a class with a, with a professor. There was just a small group of us in this class, and it was on the parables of Jesus. I remember, I still remember very clearly today, we were in kind of one of the back rooms in the religion building at, at NNU, and, and we were sitting there around this table, and we were working through Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15 contains the parables of the lost. There's three parables, the lost coin, the lost sheep, and the lost son, which we often refer to as the prodigal son. There are these three parables of lost things in Luke chapter 15. And one of the things we notice when we read through that chapter is that God cares for the lost. That God goes out of his way to reach out to those who are lost. And that when the lost come home, what does God do? Has a party. That's right. He has a party. God celebrates the lost. God reaches out to the lost. And we were, we were talking about this in class. As we were talking about this, my professor began to say, you know, there's a lot of people in our community who don't know the love and grace of Jesus Christ. And he began to weep for people that he didn't even know. And I found myself sitting there and I was checked. Now, I'm not a big crier, but I still found myself checked asking, does my heart break for those who don't know Jesus, even if I don't know those individuals? Does my heart break for those people who are going through life without truly living? You know, as I think about that today, I'm reminded of the fact that from where we are right now, within two and a half miles of the, us, there's over 25,000 people who are not connected to any congregation. You know, if we extend that to five miles, there's more than 53,000 people who are not connected to any congregation. You know who a lot of those people are? A lot of those people are our neighbors, our friends, our loved ones. But there's also a lot of those people and we may not know their faces, but God does and God cares. And God loves them just as God loves you and me, amen? You know, does our worship lead us to mission? Do we, do we reach out? Do we, do we go and share this? You know, if, if we would have continued reading here in Acts chapter four, we would realize that after this encounter in the temple, those followers of Jesus increased from 3,000 plus women and children to 5,000 plus women and children. You know, the good news of Jesus is spreading and growing rapidly, but do you know what preceded that growth? Repentance. Repentance. If you were paying attention a few moments ago, I said there's something in this that 
I find fascinating and troubling at the same time. And I said that it has to do with the fact that those who were addressed in this message were God-fearers. It was those people who came on an ordinary day to worship God. Those were the people, those ordinary people or those, those godly people who came on an ordinary day, those were the people who were called to repentance. As I, as I just think about that in, in this story of Acts, I, I find myself wondering, wondering if, if we need to repent. If we need to respond in repentance so that God can work in these ways. You know, sometimes I, I think we, we think that repentance is something that happens down here. Repentance is what you do when you feel really bad for what you've done. And you come down to a place like the altar and you say, oh God, I'm sorry. And that's an important thing. But you know, when we talk about repentance, it's not just asking for forgiveness, it's also choosing to live differently. Right? When we're called to repent, it's not just saying, I'm sorry for what I've done, but God, I want to live my life solely for you from this day forward. I want, to, I want everything I do to be focused on you. As I found myself thinking of that, I, I've, I'm starting to think, at least I'm starting to think that I might think, that when it comes to, what was that? Say that again. Say that again. I said, I'm starting to think, or at least I, I think I'm thinking, Right? I think this is where I'm going. That maybe the place where repentance happens most isn't here, but it's at those doors. Repentance begins here, but repentance is really lived out when we go from this place. Because it's when we go from this place, when we're not all gathered together, you know, when we're not sharing in fellowship, when we're not worshiping as one body, but it's when we go from here to live out our lives that we prove if we are willing to live lives of repentance or not. Are you with me on that? And what we see in Acts is that when we live into this faith, that this good news for all people is something that's contagious, something that people come to, that they receive, and that they experience life in ways they could have never imagined. And my prayer for you and my prayer for me is that we would be a church that would proclaim the message of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene. That we would be a church that would proclaim that message, not, not, just, not just with what we do when we gather in here, but also that we would proclaim that message when, when we go home or when we go to work or when we're in town or whatever we do that we would proclaim the message of Jesus Christ, that through Jesus we can experience life and wholeness and meaning. And that Jesus is the Nazarene. He's the one who came to seek and save everyone. Amen? And so I invite us into this. I ask the question, maybe we need to repent just as those God-fearers needed to repent that day. You know, repentance always begins with remembering. It always begins with remembering. And today we're going to take a moment to remember. One of the things we do regularly is to share in one of the means of grace that we call communion. You know, we remember what it is that God has done for us. 
Jesus first celebrated this meal with his disciples as they gathered together for the Passover. Remember me telling you how this was a, there was a quotation in here from Exodus chapter 3? The God of Abraham, Jacob, and Isaac. This God who heard the cries of his people and rescued them. The Passover was a celebration meal of that. It was a celebration of the way that, that God heard his people, that God met his people where they were, but God didn't leave his people there. That God redeemed his people and gave them new life. And as Jesus gathered together with his disciples to, to share in this meal, he was also reminding them that the same God who acted back then is still at work today and is still working even if it looks differently. And God is up to this together. And so today, I invite us to remember what it is that God has done for us. You know, the story of Exodus and the story of the man who was born lame is the story of you and me as well. You realize that? All of us at one time or another have been slaves to sin. All of us at one time or another found ourselves in a situation that we could not get out of. But God found us and God invited us to live into new life, amen? And we rejoice in that together. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you today as we are reminded of your grace and love and mercy that found us when we did not deserve us, deserve it. And Lord, you didn't leave us in that place where you found us, but you lifted us up. You said, come and walk and follow me. And God, we thank you for that today. And Lord, as we prepare to share in this sacrament of communion, Lord, we, we come before you with humble hearts, desiring to live faithful lives, lives that would proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, to those around us. And Lord, we come realizing that we can't do that on our own. So we offer ourselves to you today. And Lord, we pray that by your power, you would take this ordinary bread and juice and that you would use it as a means of grace for us. And then in turn, God, we pray that you would take our ordinary lives and you would use our ordinary lives as a means of grace to those around us. So God, we come before you today and we offer these gifts to you and we offer ourselves to you. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So at night that Jesus had gathered together with his disciples to celebrate the Passover meal. During the course of the meal, he took the bread and said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Would you eat this in remembrance of me? So I'd invite you to join me as we eat together today. Later on at the end of the meal, Jesus took the cup he said, this is my blood which is shed for you, the blood of the new covenant. Would you drink this in remembrance of me? And whenever you eat or drink, do so in remembrance of me and be thankful. Let us drink together. God, we thank you again today 
for your gift of love and mercy and grace for us. And God, we pray that you would help us today and every day as those who have known your love and grace to be those who would share your love and grace. We ask this in your name. Amen. And I invite you to stand this morning as we prepare to leave this place. May the words that we have heard fall fresh among us and be lived out this week. What gift of grace is Jesus my Redeemer? There is no more for heaven now to give. He is my joy, my righteousness and freedom, my steadfast love, my deep and boundless peace. To this is only Jesus for my life is wholly bound to his and oh how strange and divine I can sing all is mine yet not I but through Christ in me forsaken for by my side the Savior he will stay I labor on in weakness and rejoicing for in my need his power is displayed to this I hold my shepherd will defend
with every breath I long to follow Jesus for he has said that he will bring me home and day by day I know he will renew me until I stand with joy before the throne to this I hold my hope is only Jesus all the glory evermore to him and when the race is complete still my lips shall repeat yet not I but through Christ in me and when the race is complete Still my lips shall repeat, yet not I, but through Christ in me. Yet not I, but through Christ in me. As those who've gathered today to worship, may our worship now lead us to mission. As we go through the grace and power of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, may we live lives of repentance so that those around us might know the new life that comes through him. Amen. Amen. Go in his grace and peace.